Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the season of Santa, there are two kinds of people. The naughty and the nice. Santa! What? It's showtime. Now, this confused bad boy is Santa. Hello and welcome to the final edition of the Patreon Pal Christmas Treehouse Festival of Shit. Uh, brought to you by a very laggy internet connection that conjoins you two fellas, Timbo in Auckland, New Zealand, and Guybo in, I believe, Los Angeles. That's right. I'm uh, coming to you live from LAX... Uh, the departure lounge. So you're going to be getting quite a bit of atmos here. Um, it's not one of these modern quiet airports. They announce everything over the loudspeaker. Uh, you know, there's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's families. There's a lot of. I got to tell you, Tim. There's a lot of people travelling around the holidays. Um, really? Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of people very excited to go to new places. Some return to old places. But uh, all of that amounts to you know a solid hour and a half uh, waiting to. Show them that I don't have any water in my water bottle. I've got a, I've got uh, some pistachios that I won't be able to eat for the duration of the podcast, <laughs> and a, a lovely beer that I will look at as I sort of uh, desperately want to sip it. For those of you wondering why I don't have these in my hands, I'm uh, holding up the microphone on which I'm recording the podcast in my left hand, and the phone microphone through which Tim can hear me <laughs> in the right. <laughs> We should be better at this by now, but we're just not. Um, but we get it done is the main thing. I would begrudge you not at all. You got to have that beer, man. At some point, you got to you got to put something down and grab that beer. You yeah. got to. It's I'll, the holiday season. Well, the the good news is I'll wait for you to get on a run because we have uh-huh. uh, quite a. I don't want to say cultural outlier, but certainly we've got a cultural. Is it even an oddity? Probably not for the time. Um, but you put the vote to the people of Twitter and uh, mm. a, a whole variety of nominations for awful Christmas movies were put forth. Uh, and you told me to select the winner, which I did based on name alone. I went with uh, Santa with Muscles. <laughs> yes. Would you like me to try and do a rundown of what this film is? Uh, by by all means, please. I just before you do, but, I'll just quickly yeah. uh, tell you why I went with, for for Santa with muscles. Oh, there you go. One of these people's flights has been delayed, and you've got to imagine that someone's going to be hurting because of that. Not the bulk of flyers, but certainly one or two with connecting flights, maybe booked an alternative airlines. I mean, these little delays they really add up, and 
they'll cost you, especially around the holidays. Absolutely devastating news for for some other flyer. Um, Send it with muscles to me. It's a 1996 film starring Hulk Hogan. The title sort of foreshadows, uh, I think, a relatively popular meme format now, which is like, uh, make it such and such, but with this, you know? Yeah. Uh, and for that reason alone, I was like, send it with muscles. Well, I'd love to see how this plays out. Um, and, I mean, that I did. I watched it this morning. I woke up at 6.30 a.m. for a screening. No better company in bed than uh, 1996-era Hulk Hogan at 6.30 a.m. I'll uh, now hand the reins over to you for, I guess, a <laughs> summation on what the meat sure. and potatoes of this film actually is. Also, so I went digging around for us to uh, where we could watch this movie, um, if it was on streaming platforms or what have you, which is quite hard with this type of film from this kind of era, these sort of 90s shithouse um, cash grabs. They're quite. They're the kind of thing that used to be at your video store, but they're a little bit harder to find on uh, streaming platforms now. So it's digging around, digging around. Uh, no one seemed to have it, and then someone's just uploaded the entire movie on YouTube. <laughs> so I watched uh, watched a YouTube video of um, Santa with muscles. Thank you to whoever uploaded that. Basically, uh, this ninety, I'm guessing six minute film is. It's about class struggle, ultimately. That only becomes apparent at the end. Um, this movie is fucking bananas. It's real crazy. So Hulk Hogan, uh, who is now Hollywood Hogan, I think, but at the time was Hulk Hogan, is a rich... What is he? He's some sort of like fitness magnate, I think. Uh, yeah. And he's got a whole lot of branded foods and supplements, and he keeps spouting off rules like he's sort of a semi-motivational speaker as well. So he's probably got books on tape, as was the time. And he lives in a big, big house, a big mansion, and he's got a all these people helping him out. But the opening, so the opening, opening shot of this film is a voiceover of a very cute-sounding little girl's voice writing a letter to Santa. Telling her, telling him about um, how the orphanage is going to get taken away, and if Santa can do anything about it, and then cut to the real opening of the film, and it's just <laughs> Hulk Hogan getting attacked um, by six different guys. There's a chef. There's a limo driver. There's what else is there? There's, there's other professions. It's kind of the village people just attack him. Everyone very much in their uniform. And then he, uh, you think he's in danger, but he kicks everyone's ass and it's great and we're cheering. And it's some of the worst camera work uh, that I've seen in the festival of shit. Probably the worst, actually. Real ranky, handheld, looks very VHS, home video style. And then he goes, you know, you, th- you think he's in danger and he's fought his way out and it's all good. But then he goes, he clicks stop on his stopwatch. He goes, four minutes, 23. You call that exercise? <laughs> So this whole setup is like what he does every morning. He just goes and kicks the asses of his staff in a very physical way um, to kick the day off. Can we, can we start this movie? Take a moment to uh, just applaud the, the multifaceted skills required to be a member of Hulk Hogan's character's employ because presumably mm. not only do these people uh, have to fight him every morning... Uh, but they also then have to fulfil their ordinary tasks. So he's had to somehow cast his employment net wide enough for a chef, a limo driver, 
various different village people, you know, uh, a firefighter, a Native American, the whole gang, a lumberjack, uh, all who are capable of performing that job to the highest degree. Like, this is a man who does not suffer fools lightly. They've mm. got to be the best in field at their chosen profession and also sort of a professional-grade fighter. Um, yeah. And also, just quickly to, to go back to the uh, very, very opening when that young girl's writing a letter, I think for how clunky it is, you've also got to applaud the efficiency of storytelling. It really frames the movie. Not that that's obvious immediately, but um, it really does. Like It just says, hey, here are the stakes. We've got an orphanage. We want to save it. This is the name of the bad guy. I'm looking to Santa for help. Like everything that you need to know about the movie is communicated within the first 30 seconds. It's true. You can't fault them for brevity. Uh, it's the duration's bang on there. It's good storytelling. You're right. I mean, it's very. It's kind of the coward's way out. It's a real shortcut. Um, <laughs> it's what you do when you don't know how to how to make a film properly. But it, you know, it works. I guess connects the dots. I just, I had such a bad time with this movie, man. This is my least favourite of all of them. Oh, this one was wow. fucking terrible. Fucking no, terrible. No, no, no. This was much better than Christmas with the Cranks. There was a lot of fun to be had here. It was cartoonish. Oh. Like, the whole thing could have been rendered in animation, and it wouldn't have made one jot of difference. I was astounded at how bad Hulk Hogan was at acting. Yes. Like, he was fucking terrible. Every line was a dunger. Yeah, it's, um, I think, it's not rare to see bad acting, but it's rare to see sort of standout bad acting. And it really did jump off the screen. Like, it was almost as though he was doing his first pass at all of the lines. Uh, you know, what he would have done when he first got given the script and the director ran through them with him. And Hulk would read them and he'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, do you want to do that again? And Hulk would go, no, nah, we'll get it on the day. But, uh... <laughs> You know, lo and behold, he, he, did, he did not stick a single one of those lines on the day. It was it was definitely one of the worst acting performances I've seen in a while. And he's also... There was one bit. Oh, you go ahead. Sorry, no, you go ahead, guy. I want to hear was, the second bit of this. I was going to say he was surrounded by um, talent and people not necessarily putting their best foot forward, but certainly um, serviceable performances from, like, you know, yeah. the, the, the very thinly drawn characters, but... People at least showing up and fucking, you know, making a go of it. Few familiar faces in this flick as well, Guy. Uh, the villain is Sitwell from Arrested Development, which was great to see. Yeah, that was really fun to see. And also, uh, he is, to me, uh, best remembered as the dad, like uh, Amber Heard, I think is her name. Seth Rogen's uh, in Pineapple Express, the high school student that Seth Rogen is dating, who's played by Amber Heard. Uh, it's her like very forcefully angry dad who like fires a gun at the at Seth Rogen and James Franco in the movie. Do you remember that? Vaguely, I remember very little and then, of that like, film. And but... then they're, they're leaving because they're under siege, and Seth Rogen tries to get in the car, and he goes, "What the fuck would make you think you're getting in or something?" <laughs> he's really funny. He's a fun guy. He is. He's a really good actor, and even in this, he's like he's doing the best with what he's been given. Um, also. A little surprise treat. This has got to be one of the earliest appearance, appearances of Mila Kunis. Absolutely. Um, 1996. I feel like it... Uh, I mean, I, I did a very little bit of... Oh, see, bloody... 
bloody heck, you know. It's chaos here at LAX. I don't know if you're picking up on these cancellations and delays, but it's going to be a lot of bloody, you know, upset folks around the Christmas tree if I, if uh, this efficiency has its way with them. Oh, Monty. I'm, I wish I could just talk about the movie, but, I mean, I've chosen this spot uh, <laughs> due to circumstance that is literally right under the speaker, so it's very difficult for me to <laughs> maintain focus. But in my digging, I discovered that Mila Kunis, I think this was her first role, and uh, later on in reflecting on the, on the, the film, she, she didn't realise at the time how significant it was to be in a Hulk Hogan movie. Because I suppose, yeah. in terms of the wrestling world, like Hulk Hogan, pretty sure he's been cancelled now, hasn't he? Um, I mean, he certainly had his brushes with societal norms yeah. and uh, running afoul of them, he's, that's for sure. He's still walking around, don't get me wrong, but I think the guy's reputation is in tatters. But in a way, he would have helped pave the way for guys like The Rock. Like He was the pinnacle of the wrestling world and then uh, launched this crossover into acting. Um, and yeah, she, she was oblivious to the significance of acting in a movie with him at the time. And it wasn't until reflection that she sort of could take stock. She's like, holy that's, shit. That's absolutely right. I mean, for, for the younger listeners, Hulk Hogan was a fucking superstar in the 90s. Like, he was, it was Bart Simpson and Hulk Hogan. Those were your two lunchboxes. Those were your choices. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been as big a crossover hit in wrestling's lifetime. And they're getting real good at it now, at uh, the whole spectacle the, of the... WWE. The, the Rock is the bigger crossover. The Rock's like the biggest. Oh, that's true. That's he's true. the biggest movie star in the world. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Um, so, the plot, Monty. Uh, what is it? It's thick. It's dense. It's soupy. It's weird. It's. Uh, I can't. There's bits. So I watched this like a few hours ago, and there's bits like I know the visuals of things that happened in the scene, but they don't make any contextual sense to me. So I'm going to throw out what I remember happening, and maybe you try and help me figure out why that happened. With pleasure. Um, why is he in a car, like, shooting a gun or being chased by the police uh, or something at the start? So he's he's a fun guy. He's a sort of uh, quite conceited, you know, self-obsessed billionaire or millionaire, whatever, who um, he just he, he plays by his own rules and he lives at his own pace. And so after his rigorous workout uh, in which he disarmed several different employees, uh, he was like, it's paintball time. And... Um, that's and right. even before that, he rejects the idea. His butler uh, says, "Hey, this this you know this organisation wants to know if they can use your mansion for a, a charity event around Christmas." And he goes, "No, no, no, if him, it's time to play paintball." Uh, establishing the idea that he's sort of, you know, he he doesn't give two hoots about any of society outside of his very limited circle. And so him and some guys they put on army fatigues or whatever, and they they go out and they start playing paintball. Um, initially in a private area, but they sort of take it to the streets pretty quickly. And uh, at some <laughs> they point... They do, they kick it up a notch. He's a pretty famous actor, that, that guy who plays the main cop, who sort of catches uh, Hulk Hogan speeding past him. Did you recognise him? Should I look at... I did recognise... Do you know what's weird? I did recognise him for sure. I don't know who he is, but I'm going to look him up now. But he... There's that kind of character type portrayed in Van Wilder... The um, college cop? What are they called? Like the campus cop? Campus security or it's, something. Yeah, it's not him, but it's that exact style of person and role. 
Well, in addition to that, weird. Uh, I also thought thought to your one of your favourites, Van Wilder, when Hulk Hogan at the start's rattling off his rules and he says, write that down or something. Yeah, I true. Like, I mean, absolute shades of Van Wilder. This was the original Van Wilder. Oh, okay. Um, I'm in the cast list now, mate. So, does the name... I can't find him, guy. <laughs> I was trying to pad for, t- for time, but I can't find him. Really? Um, well, he's not in the main bit. Oh, I'll tell okay. you, Lenny, or Leonard, is Don Stark. Um, he's, also, he been he's also been in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And yeah, he's been in everything. He was also in that 70s show with Mila Kunis. Of course. He was um, Thingy's dad. Not Eric's dad. Uh, shit. Someone else. No, 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 the woman. Donna? I think it's Donna's dad. It's the one that Red hates. God, this has gone off the rails immediately. Um, but yeah, look, famous faces... You love to see him in there doing a terrible job in this terrible film. So the paintball is ensuing, and I think they they fire one at a cop car windscreen, which is just great. What a cool attitude um, to have in a kids' movie to to the law. Just like ah, fuck this guy. <laughs> just a mess with the cop um, shoots a paintball pallet also, onto his windscreen, which causes him to yeah. For a trained police officer, this cop does not handle one paintball pallet hitting his windshield very well at all. He immediately turns the wipers on and smears it across the entire windscreen. Instead of just breaking or, you know, putting his head out the window, crashes the car. I mean... Yeah, dramatically. Yeah, it's a a silly movie, of course, but I got to say, he did not do himself proud. I've got to be honest, Hulk, who I assume wrote this movie. Not very believable. But we're introduced to this cop being a fucking idiot pretty early on because he's, he's got a speed gun just on an empty road and he's just playing with it, making laser sounds to himself. There's a lot of moments of that as well in this film where there's really old men, like 50-year-old men, making children's noises for like too long in a scene. There's a lot of suggestions that they didn't have the minute duration to get across the line and they needed to make it 90 minutes. And so they just sort of elongated a bunch of stuff needlessly. Um, So that happens. And then, uh, so the cops start chasing him and then he goes into the mall, loses his fatigues, finds a Santa outfit to ditch the fuzz. Um, He's holding on to, (laughs) this is how bad Hulk Hogan's acting is, he's holding on to a rubber chute, like he's put his body down, he's hanging on with his hands to just keep him hanging there, and like, he's not even good at hand acting, because his hands are in no way supporting any kind of weight, they're just like flat, he's obviously just standing on a chair on the other side of this wall, so you see his hands there, he slips, he falls, gets a massive concussion, And in a narrative feature, which is very popular to the sort of 80s, 90s children's film genre, and I'd like to see a return to, actually, frankly, Monty, he gets selective amnesia and forgets who the hell he is and sort of, um, well, he gets pickpocketed by one of Santa's elves uh, who comes upon him in the mall. And then Santa's elves, the aforementioned Lenny, Don Stark, uh, I wouldn't say befriends because he's robbing him but he sort of um buddies up with him and is like now nah, you you're Sant- you you're the mall santa now let's get out there well, he, and then he, <laughs> he they appear to rapturous applause yeah he, he spies an opportunity though he's a very cunning 
Alf, and it's also been established that he owes money to the uh, villain who was outlined at the very start of the movie by the cute young girl's voiceover. So they've already they're already you know uh, bringing all of these component parts together. They've got a pretty strong blueprint for just at least competent storytelling, and yet somehow they find a way to fritter away what little they've done. Um, but he, he he latches on to Hulk Hogan's character because he realizes he's quite a famous sort of millionaire. And so he, he says, he looks at his ID and his what, and he goes, holy hell, I've, I've hit the jackpot here. He's got amnesia. He doesn't know who he is. He gets dressed as Santa. He takes him out to the mall. And then also while uh, Hulk Hogan's fulfilling his Santa duties at this mall because the original Santa hasn't shown up, so all these kids are waiting. They're baying for blood. He takes the credit card to the ATM and tries to withdraw cash. But um, for 996, it's pretty secure technology. It requires a thumbprint to withdraw yeah. funds, which is a technology that is still not applied today. I don't know if you have to meet a certain threshold of money inside of your account. but um, And I guess, you know, with anything, you can take a stab in the dark at what technology the future holds. But I've not seen the like of what they're using in this <laughs> film at all. The suggestion is that Hulk Hogan's character is at some sort of platinum tier of service where they're creating ATMs just for him um, with a thumbprint scanner on it. They not only have a thumbprint scanner, but also talk. Um, yeah. So they, they welcome him to the ATM. <laughs> they greet, they have essentially like a greeter voice built in, which I've got to say, in terms of, you know, security for such a device that's dealing with your money, probably not the best idea in the world. But hey, it's a family movie. You do what you want. Absolutely. So then he's gutted because he's obviously got this roadblock preventing him from clearing out Hulk Hogan's credit cards, of which there are many. Um, so he continues to pal around with, with Hulk, who's now um, just very confused about who he is. Uh, at no point does he sort of entertain the idea seriously that he's Santa. They sort of they play with this idea very weirdly, but it's kind of the suggestion is that he doesn't at any stage actually believe that, but there's some little kids uh, at the orphanage who do later on. Um, what the fuck happens next? It's, so he goes... Is, oh, he beats the shit out of some uh, mall thieves? Yeah. I just want to say, in reference to his his understanding of him being Santa, it's, uh, I guess they, they, they tread a pretty fine line. They sort of bring it up enough to make the audience think about it but not so much that I actually explain his relationship to understanding who he is. He's just told his center and he goes along with it because I guess, I don't know, he, he sort of, his curiosity to find out who he is dies pretty quickly and he just goes along with whatever's laid in front of him. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, it's more there. It's like, well, I'm wearing the suit, so I guess you can call me Santa. I guess I'm Santa Claus. So yeah. just call me Santa. And but then everyone just addresses him as Santa from then on in. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to. So that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during, uh, there was a pandemic. I don't know if you remember. And the benefits were immediate and long-lasting. They help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations. Honestly, it's changed my life for the better. I guess that's why they call it BetterHelp. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. But then, so yeah, soon after that, while he's uh, posing for photos with the kids, those there are these two young thugs, Maul, Mall rats who go to steal from uh, a, a woman who's raising charity for the aforementioned orphanage, and uh, Hulk Hogan stops them, and in doing so, draws great media attention to the orphanage. This is the same orphanage that our villain uh, wants to take over for reasons somewhat unexplained to us at this point, point. Uh, and it very neatly ties Hulk Hogan's character to the orphanage. There's now a reason for him to go there. There's a reason for a relationship to start there. And that's when the movie really gets into the fun and game section. I'd also like to add that while it makes some sense for Hulk Hogan to spend time at the orphanage, maybe even sleep over the night, um, is it Lenny, the elf? Yep. This is a man who has no place in or around the orphanage. Essentially, the orphanage has taken in two... Starways, a mall Santa, and lower yet, a mall elf, and um, just decided to accommodate them. I mean, this is pretty high-risk stuff from an orphanage, i got to say. If, if, if there are two people who I'd be on high alert and letting into the, the building, it would, be, um, it would be exactly who they let in, you know. Yeah, they're not doing the best job of looking after these vulnerable children, but it seems like everyone's having a good, happy time in there. So, you know, if it works, it works, I guess. It's worked up until this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the less questions asked, yeah. the better. But, um, and I, I'm saying that as an audience member, you know, examining the plot, not as the head of an orphanage uh, with regards to letting adults just come and stay. I just want to be clear there. I just remembered a line, Monty. Uh, when Lenny st- <laughs> when Lenny steals Hulk Hogan's wallet and realizes who he is, and he says, "Blake Thorne, he's the richest man in ten states." <laughs> Such a weird. There's so many weird bits of dialogue in this movie, usually delivered by that character, which makes me think. I don't know. Maybe he was punching up the lines or something. Um, Another one, that's the most sense I've heard anyone make all night. I don't know what it was about that, but it's like there's too, too many words in there somewhere or something. Yeah, there's also the one bit, a, is it, a great run of like Christmassy puns or Christmas-inspired puns. But um, 
I don't want to. I don't want to get to that yet because a lot of those are spoken by my favourite characters in the movie, which we'll get to in due course. Oh yes. Okay. So, is this the bit where? Okay, so we're, they're at the orphanage now. They're living there. Um, we're introduced to Leslie, who's the very nice lady who looks after these. There's about four kids and a guy called Clayton, who's sort of the, um, I don't know, manager. Effectively, he's 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 running the shop, and Leslie's looking after the kids. And um, the orphanage is in peril, which we know. I feel like I blinked and missed the bit of dialogue, which explained exactly why Sitwell was trying to get um, that orphanage. Uh, Something about he's got all the surrounding land, but I, I don't yeah. know what. It gets so, revealed later, so don't worry. We'll we'll get to it. Yeah, it's deliberately unclear. So amongst all of this action unfolding, we get a few cutaways to the Sitwell, or his character's called Ebner Frost. They call him Frost. Um, And he's sort of got this army of cartoon villains uh, as his henchmen, and uh, he's got a map of the surrounding areas of the orphanage, and he's crossed a lot of the areas off because obviously he's accrued wealth and he's, he's bought people off or he's cajoled or bullied people out of their their property and the orphanage is standing yeah. strong and uh i mean for how militant the cops are and policing people playing paintball on the outskirts of town i gotta say they do very little for um extortion and sort of like breaking and entering trespassing and a varieties of much higher crimes and misdemeanors that are more or less taking place right under their nose. And all of the people who these crimes are happening to do an incredibly poor job of communicating any of it to the authorities. It's that classic B-90s movie thing of, um, we'll just take care of all of it ourselves. I feel like it was reflective of a fear at the time. Because crime was really high back then, and it was very, like, talked about. So the way that it sort of trickled down into these family movies is all the cops are massively incompetent and it's up to the kids and some one, like, plucky adult that they find to take down I, the villains. I understand. But it's, like, an, it's the same thing in earnest. Like, all the cops are incredibly shit. Yeah. I, I guess I understand that, but they, like, we aren't... And I guess they do kind of show that the cops are shit in the initial chase scene, but they're not shown to be specifically shit with regards to helping solve the problems that the orphanage are facing. Anyway, that's by the by. Uh, so from um, let's talk about this gaggle of scientists, Monty, because I'm picking that was your favourite um, bundle of characters. Yeah, this is the There's four of them. This was the part. They're so good that made it feel like um, we were watching a cartoon. Like these could have been Captain Planet style villains, where they're all given one sort of point of focus, and that is their only defining character trait. So there's Doctor Blight, who's like. Uh, this British right-hand man, this very thin pseudoscientist who comes out with all sorts of corny lines. Uh, and you're right over there. <laughs> I'm so hungover. I just had to adjust everything so I could sit back in my chair. <laughs> I'm struggling. Uh, the sort of enforcer, this very thin enforcer. And then you've got these three other characters who, <laughs> they're all meant to be, I mean I guess it's a kids movie but they're meant to be really imposing but all of their um, torture techniques are in, like incredibly harmless and ineffective they're just you know full of mild annoyances you've got uh, Dr. Vile who's sort of this crazy um, this guy who loves bad smells 
so he's always he's <laughs> yeah. always showing up and making uh, you know the the victims of these crimes uh, smell bad smells. And then you've got he's a fart man, Doctor Watt, it's a classic villainous archetype. Doctor Watt, who uh, she's got gloves that have static electricity in them, I guess, and so she can give you a little bit of a shock. And then you've got Doctor Flint, who's this thin sort of guy, like just a bit like a, an old school khaki saf- safari major. Uh, and I can't even remember what he's meant to do. What does he do? Was he the guy who was just giggling all the time like a fucking madman, or was that Doctor Vile? Doctor Vile loves to giggle. This other thin guy, I, I can't even remember what he does. But they they show up intermittently to very ineffectively um, impose themselves on anyone. Except, oh yeah, you you say ineffectively except for one fight scene in a clock tower against Hulk Hogan himself. And I tell you what, the leader of this little band, Doctor uh, Blight, what's his name again? The yeah, Dr. Blight, he fucking throws down. He is matching Hulk Hogan punch for punch for a lot of it. Absolutely. Uh, and that, that, yeah, that comes later in the film. But pretty much what we've got laid out now in front of us, right, is we've got an orphanage, we've got Hulk Hogan and Lenny uh, assisting the orphanage. Hulk Hogan, due to amnesia and genuine goodwill built up between him and the children and uh, the suggestion of a romantic relationship between him and Leslie, who runs the orphanage. We've got Lenny sticking around for his own selfish reasons because he still wants to try and get some money out of Hulk Hogan's character, steal from him. Mm. And then the orphans, including Mila Kunis, and they are battling it out against Frost and his lackeys, who are by any means necessary doing what they can to take control of the property. And they somehow make this part of the movie last for... 70 minutes, I would say. Ever? Yeah. It's very weird. I'm like, I can't believe I just saw this film and I still, I can't piece it together in my brain at all, like what happens when. What were you doing last night? So, we went to a little party, just kicked on, probably a bit later than I should have. Here's another, so when they're in the orphanage, the children repair... Hulk Hogan and Lenny's clothes, um, which is very nice of them. It's Mila Kunis, actually. She sorts it out. But she's also kind of sassy, which is cool. That's a fun that's a fun kid to put in a movie. Um, Lenny asks if his suit's ready yet, and she gives him the, the bloody raz big time. Um, where was I going with that? Fuck, I'm hungover. Uh, <laughs> he gets a cool and what becomes very iconic sleeveless Santa vest which if you've seen the poster for this movie that's what Hulk Hogan is wearing at the time I was leading up to something Monty but it's uh it's gone hey don't worry oh that's right that's right the pajamas the pajamas so while the um soul so these two random dudes have shown up one dressed as a dirty Santa the other dressed as a dirty elf Dirty Santa doesn't know his own fucking name, which is terrifying considering the man's age and size and the fact that you've got the wardship of these vulnerable children. Uh, but you're like, hey, you guys should definitely sleep here overnight. Seems like a great idea. Um, so they do. And while their costumes are being repaired, they have to sleep in some, I guess they're like a dress-up box costume nativity scene stuff. So Hulk Hogan is wearing a like a Jesus robe, like a sort of Messiah's robe, 
which Lenny is giving him a lot of shit about, especially considering that Lenny is in a um, a goddamn Easter Bunny outfit. And the line that Lenny says, because I did write this down, um, and you hear the entire thing said in the movie. Where is it now? Am I a sheep? Am I a bunny? Which one of these two things? This is such a weird thing to say, all of those words. Am I a sheep? Am I a bunny? Which one of these two things? <laughs> oh, I'm glad that it got you. I, uh, Fuck, he's a madman. Yeah, it's sort of, the whole thing just doesn't make sense. Not just the, the plot of the movie, but it's production at all. I suppose they've buried the budget from the internet, so you don't know what it cost, but it only pulled back about $220,000. And I don't know if you've Shit. stuck around like I have, but one of the producers was actually um, the Wolf of Wall Street himself, Jordan Belfort, who Leonardo Fuck DiCaprio off. plays in the movie. Yeah. I don't know or remember what the timeline of Jordan Belfort's career is, whether or not this was before or after his comeuppance for his villainy. But um, Surely before. He's not producing movies after he's been convicted. Well, he's back out in the wild now, though, isn't he? He's a public speaker. That's true. I reckon this was before, man. I reckon he fucking embezzled Hulk's bucks, his movie bucks. Yeah. I, um, any, that's just sort of a, a little piece of trivia. But pretty much what you get in the 70 minutes of uh, the plot slowly unfurling itself is a series of... Uh, very lame pratfalls and hijinks in which uh, the orphans and Hulk Hogan slowly assert themselves over this uh, crew of villains. And, I mean, there's not a lot of laugh-out-loud moments. You said yours. My biggest laugh was actually much, much later in the film when um, things escalate again. So at some point, Hulk Hogan's character... How does he remember who he is again? Does he get concussed a second time? Yeah, he does. So in that fight, yeah, he does. In that fight scene you described, he falls from this clock tower into a, a rubbish truck and lands on a pile of rubbish and sees a... Garbage truck guy. You're in America, for God's sake. Have some self-respect. I must apologize. And uh, he lands in a garbage truck, and inside of the garbage truck is like an empty packet of one of his protein supplements or whatever, and he goes, oh, that's right, that's who I am. And he goes home. But he can't quite return to his old feelings. He can't shake the feeling that he's needed. And so he returns to the orphanage. And through this sort of amnesia-led concussion, we are to believe that he's become a better person. And uh, he's driving his car back to the orphanage, the same car that started a car chase before, and the same cop from earlier in the movie sees him and goes, all right, this time I'm coming, and starts chasing him. And... A whole squadron of people join in for, you know, yeah. whatever reasons, for slapstick reasons, I guess. And at one point, uh, he's sort of been cut off at one end of the street and at the other. He's, he's cornered, essentially, by cops. And one of them takes out a uh, bazooka. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he doesn't know why. A rocket-propelled grenade launcher. <laughs> he does not know why he's chasing this man. But he knows he wants, it, he wants him dead. <laughs> So he takes out a bazooka and lines it up, and Hulk Hogan's character very swiftly just swerves around this missile that is traveling, I guess, pretty slowly for a missile, and it winds up exploding the original cop's car. And that in and of itself is not super funny, but later on, the cop shows up again, and you know your assumption would be that the car would not be operational anymore, but 
the props department have really outdone themselves. Props and arts, fucking hats off. Oh, hugely. They sort of have rendered just this uh, charred shell and axle and chassis of a car. It's in total disarray. And after, you know, 80 mirthless minutes of sort of vaguely enjoying the movie, I actually audibly laughed. Um, and I guess, in a manner of speaking, that would be my shining light if such a thing exists. Can I... Can I suggest that the thing that really, uh, you know, made that what it was was the window screen wipers still operational without any kind of doors, a roof, a windscreen, but there's windscreen wipers going on the shell of a car? You know what? that really set me off. You are not wrong. It was bloody good. Anyway. <laughs> that, bazo- that bazooka bit I thought was incredibly funny unto itself. I genuinely cracked up because they show the car exploding in beautiful action movie Michael Bay level detail like you get to see this cop car explode this is going to cost 60 grand right there by itself get all those explosives and the people who know how to use it in a film my god yeah it was great that was quality there was some pretty wonky CGI going on look I can't be bothered articulating all no 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 all of the ways there's more there's there's just, there's just there's one big other bit that we haven't gotten into, which we need to, and that is the catacombs that are beneath the orphanage. So I haven't quite teased out if this was known to Frost, um, the villain, a.k.a. Absol- Sitwell. Absolutely. Uh, a.k.a. Ebner. It Did he know it? He knows it because it's the same stuff that's under all of the surrounding buildings as well. So it's part of some large... Yeah, by the way... That substance yeah. is quartz, the most worthless of all the crystals. But Mila Kunis' character runs in there like a regular Lisa Simpson and explains to everyone that uh, they're quartz crystals and surely must be worth millions of dollars. And I was like, no, they're fucking not. Quartz are common as hell. They're everywhere. And these quartz are pretty magic quartz too. They've got some sort of electricity generating pro- properties to them. Um, which, spoiler alert, it culminates in uh, the whole entire orphanage exploding and falling into itself. Like, it's like a scene out of um, Ghostbusters when you see the, uh, when yeah. they destroy Zool or whatever and all the, and they, the stuff goes back up to the sky, breaks off, off the buildings. It's like that. Oh my God, they worked so hard on the CGI for that as well. It is incredible. A lot of puppets, a lot of models, I think. I was trying to figure out how they did it. It looked pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, But it was just such a ridiculous premise. Here's my question to you, Guy Montgomery. As the only other person I know who's seen Santa with Muscles today. Hulk Hogan and the kids and Leslie go into the catacombs and there is a safe in the middle of the movie. The combination is 8-24-16. The kids have somehow figured out the first three of four numbers that they need to put into a dial to open the safe to get access to the catacombs. They've never been able to do it before, but Hulk Hogan goes, 8-24-16, I know, and then dials it to a number which is never revealed and opens the door. How does he know what the other number was? Uh, It's implied that there's some sort of relationship between that safe... And his uh, his wealth, or perhaps even like something to do with either his 
persona, like through the amnesia, it triggers some sort of memory about, you know, some lock he has for a safe. Or, alternatively, it might be because this is also revealed that he uh, himself, unbeknownst to him, grew up in that orphanage. And so maybe he retained that... Well, but no, he didn't. He didn't grow up in the orphanage, I don't think. Because... This is this is what led me with my opener saying that this is actually a um, a class story because Frost, aka Sitwell, our villain who's employed all of these dastardly scientists to attack children and Hulk Hogan, um, he is the orphan who grew up at the orphanage and he keeps saying at the very end of the movie that Hulk and he were friends as kids, but he's jealous because Hulk had all this money that he inherited from his parents. Hulk, and that's how he got his start in life. Hulk got adep- adopted by a, a wealthy family, is what I was led to believe. Oh, T-Room. I honestly am so well, impressed that this movie managed to put you out of your depth. <laughs> I cannot imagine <laughs> the fun and merriment that you experienced last night that has reduced you to such a puddle of a person. Someone who's, you know, part of their livelihood is derived from watching, critiquing and discussing cinema has struggled to put together one of the most, you know, <laughs> needlessly convoluted but ultimately straightforward films I've ever seen. Yeah. Everything you're saying is correct, and you're right to razz me. Uh, this movie challenged me, and that itself is devastating. And just, if you watch Santa with Muscles, you'll know just how much I got owned by the festive spirit. No one's watching this movie on the back of this. I chose it for its name. I don't regret it. I kind of enjoyed it, but it's certainly none of the things we've seen. What did we watch? We watched Ernest Saves Christmas, Christmas with the Cranks. Christmas with the Cranks. Santa with Muscles. And was there another one? There was. Yeah, what the fuck was It was, was the it? Matthew Broderick <laughs> movie. Oh, uh, Deck the Halls. Deck the Halls was the best. If you're going to watch one, watch Deck the Halls. Is this coming out on uh, or around Christmas? Yeah. Well, fucking Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Happy holidays. Whatever you celebrate, celebrate it well. Don't celebrate as well as I was celebrating last night. Maybe three quarters yeah. of what I did. But enjoy yourself. And I know that you know you might not want me to do this, but... I'm tired of using two hands to hold up two microphones and just looking at a beer. So Mm. I want to put a pin in this conversation. Um, Go at it, mate. You've earned it. But uh, next time we record, I'm imagining uh, we won't be contesting with any such lag. We'll be sitting side by side, riding together once more. what a thing. Truly a Christmas miracle. Uh, so everyone have a wonderful day, night, morning, whatever you're doing. Tim, I hope you feel better. I hope you have a fantastic afternoon. Love to all. Thank you. And to all, a good night. With muscles. Hulk Hogan is Santa with an attitude. Keep the milk and cookies warm. Santa with some friends. Santa with a mission. How are we supposed to get over this? And most of all, he's Santa with muscles. They can't start Christmas without me. Can they? Santa with muscles. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.